Coming soon to a sky near you. Don't miss the big Venus-Jupiter conjunction. So, are any of you out there in the mood to get out of bed before sunrise on November 13th? Or maybe you're a night owl, then it might be better just to stay up all night and catch the late show that way. Either way, there's a rare visual treat in store. That night, the two brightest planets in the sky, Jupiter and Venus, will very nearly merge into one single blinding light. This is an unusual event. It is actually one of the many possibilities cited for what the famous Star of Bethlehem might have been. Now, given the fast orbit of Venus around the Sun, its conjunctions with Jupiter are not actually so unusual. The last one occurred on August 27, 2016. There was one before that on October 25, 2015, and another a few weeks earlier on August 4, 15. You get the picture. These Jupiter-Venus conjunctions are not really rare things, hardly a reason to get out of bed in the wee hours. So what's the big deal this time? In a word, the answer is declination. At the moment of the exact conjunction, this time there is only an 11 minute of arc separation between the planets in terms of declination. Need a quick definition? Project Earth's equator onto the sky. Planets, of course, occasionally cross it, but mostly they're above it or below it, just like London is in the Northern Hemisphere while Sydney, Australia is in the Southern Hemisphere. Declination, in other words, is basically just like latitude on the Earth, except it's in the sky. On November 13th, Venus and Jupiter form a conjunction in exactly 7 degrees 20 minutes of Scorpio. Astrologically, that means that they are aligned along the ecliptic, that's the zodiac, in a perfect or partile astrological conjunction. And as we just saw, not really such a big deal, but add that very close parallel of declination and you have a visual feast to remember. In fact, the three wise men may have followed it all the way to Bethlehem. Working out the geometry, Venus and Jupiter will only be 18 arc minutes apart in the sky. That's less than one-third of a degree. To keep perspective and kind of get it into your head, just hold your pinky finger up at arm's length. The span of sky the tip of your finger covers is about one degree wide. One-third of that. It's close, in other words. By comparison, when Venus and Jupiter formed the conjunction in August of 2015, they aligned at the end of Leo, but by declination, they were still over six degrees apart. Again, hold your arm straight out, this time with four fingers together and pointing up. That's about a six-degree spread. Close, but no banana, in other words. Now, the obvious question, so what does this conjunction mean astrologically? So far, all this has just been about astronomy. The astrologer's task is to read the will of the gods and the goddesses in the heavens, not to give a planetarium talk. We will read that divine will in a minute. But first, here comes one of my favorite rants. I actually wonder if any astrologer reading this newsletter or listening to this podcast will actually get out of his or her nice warm bed and have a look at this glorious sight in the sky. I know I will, but I have always been obsessed with the heavens. 
and also absolutely baffled by how few of my fellow astrologers ever pay any direct sensory attention to the endless sky show of the physical universe. I shared a stage at an astrology conference once with a wonderful Muskogee named J.C. Eaglesmith. He told a story about a previous astrology conference in which he had invited the participants simply to go outside with him and look at the night sky. No one wanted to go. Mosquitoes, said J.C. Eaglesmith, with irony and sadness in his eyes, and I don't blame him. Amateur astronomy is what led me into astrology in the first place. I grew up with telescopes, gazing at the starry sky. I've written about all that in The Night Speaks. Tony Howard also recently shot some video of me talking about my love of astronomy with a magnificent Mount Palomar Observatory in the background. I won't rehash all that here. Instead, I want to talk about an old friend of mine. His name is Jim Mullaney. Growing up, he was one of my heroes. The big amateur astronomy magazine in those days was called Sky and Telescope. Jim used to write for it. He also directed an observatory and a planetarium. He was and is that rare bird, the academically trained and credentialed astronomer who is wide open to metaphysics. Think of Carl Sagan or Neil deGrasse Tyson meeting at a meditation class and talking about the meaning of transiting Pluto, comparing notes and taking it seriously. That's Jim Mullaney. Now, after decades of observing the sky, Jim has come to feel that something mysterious happens to our consciousnesses when we look through telescopes, something that hovers between the realm of magic and an almost medical realm. He calls it the photon connection. What he means is that a literal photon of light leaves Jupiter, for example, traveling at about 186,000 miles per second, and then it crashes into your retina. As it does so, it creates biochemical changes in your cerebrum, and just maybe, in so doing, it carries a message from Jupiter directly into your body and your soul. It's like catching the eye of a stranger, and suddenly, intuitively, you know something very fundamental about that person. It's like listening to Beethoven as opposed to reading about Beethoven. It's like the difference between sex and pornography. The connection is real, in other words. There's nothing abstract about it. And whatever that photon connection brings to you has zero to do with seeing the Jupiter glyph on your computer screen or a sheet of paper. Instead, it has to do with something physical, something that links you directly to the planet, like a mother's touch links her to her baby. It is so easy for we modern astrologers to forget that the real, true, original ephemeris was the sky itself. That's what made astrologers out of our ancestors, and it can still make us better astrologers today, too. I like all this. It rings true for me. I don't think I would be the astrologer I am today if it were not for hundreds, even thousands of hours spent with those photons raining into my brain. You don't even really need a telescope for any of this to happen. Your naked eyes are enough. Just think of stepping out into a moonlit night. Feel something? That's the photon connection too. 
amateur astronomy is a huge subject and not really what this podcast is about. We will get to the astrology of this spectacular Venus-Jupiter alignment in just a minute, I promise, but do look at the sky. It is truly our best astrological teacher, and this month it's got some special teaching tricks up its sleeve, tricks that no mortal teacher has. And in case you're perhaps inspired to look into the craft of observing the heavens, the text version of this podcast has a link to an old Sky and Telescope article that Jim Mullaney wrote. It's a good practical introduction to the modest equipment and the kingly joys of stargazing. So, Moving on to the heart of the matter for our more obvious purposes, what does this Venus-Jupiter conjunction mean astrologically? This month, we all have that conjunction on steroids happening somewhere in our charts. Steroids because of the parallel of declination with it, this merging of the lights. Another hint, the conjunction falls in Scorpio, which adds some extra drama and maybe some trauma to the mix. In last month's newsletter and podcast, I explored the general meaning of Jupiter's passage through Scorpio from October 10th of 2017 through November 8th of 2018. That will be the foundation of much of what I want to say here. So if you missed that newsletter or need to review it, have a look at the text version of this talk for the links back to it. Because this year-long Jupiter transit is a very big deal, I also prepared a two-hour audio presentation about it. That one would cost you a little bit of money to hear, but it goes into a lot more detail, and it covers the meaning of Jupiter and Scorpio through each one of the 12 astrological houses. Makes it a little more personal for you. My plan here in this podcast is to set the tone by quoting a few lines from last month's newsletter, and then to relate it all specifically to Venus and this upcoming mega-conjunction. So, thinking broadly about Jupiter's transit through Scorpio, I've reduced this to eight critical points. Point number one, Jupiter's principal effect is to expand anything it touches. It symbolizes abundance, Hence, its historical reputation as the greater benefic. But before we leap into paroxysms of ecstasy here, let's reflect on exactly what Lord Jupiter is going to be expanding. Point number two, Scorpio embraces all of the strong energies in the human psyche, instincts, mammal reflexes, appetites, rage, fear, the wounded places in us all. So that's what's going to be expanded. Point number three, in all cases, the presence of the unconscious mind, that's Scorpio, will be vividly, even spectacularly demonstrated. That's expansive Jupiter. Point number four, always in any kind of Scorpionic time, the bottom line is that the unconscious mind is becoming conscious. Point number five, all that is taboo is brought to the surface. Number six, at the individual level, we need to ask ourselves hard questions. That's the Scorpio process. Questions about what we really want and what is truly good for us. That's Jupiter. And then armed with that hard-won self-knowledge, we need to boldly and audaciously make our moves. Point number seven, you need a victory. 
but you had better make sure you know what's good for you. Thus, scorpionic inner work clarifies and rectifies the intentions while King Jupiter leads the charge. And finally, point number eight, the lower ground. When Jupiter in Scorpio operates unconsciously, the dark and tangled complexes and appetites that animate human madness find extravagant outward expression. With all that clear, so now let's place all of those Jupiter possibilities in a Venusian context. As we do that, naturally our first thought is about loving relationships. That's Venus territory. But let's not forget beauty and artistry, the human need for aesthetic experience. That's Venus too. And underlying everything with Venus is simply peace, that rare and precious state of grace for which we all long and which we occasionally grasp before it slips between our worried fingers. In terms of loving Venusian relationships, it is always an astrological blunder to think only in terms of sex and romance, and of course an even more terrible blunder to ignore them. Above all, Scorpio wants genuine connection, whatever form it might take, erotic or otherwise. In any of your relationships, what is blocking that feeling of direct rapport? What are you afraid to say? Or perhaps even afraid to know? What do you truly desire? These are Scorpio questions. Now, hear the voice of Lord Jupiter. Don't be afraid to ask for those things. Be bold. The aim here is to seize the opportunity to be more transparent and thus more genuinely connected. Meanwhile, be wary of fool's gold. The most obvious example here would be falling in love with some walking, breathing, but wiggling illusion. Now, Venus links to our aesthetic sensitivities as well. Even if you are not an artist, you still benefit this month from investing in anything that adds loveliness to your life. Buy a painting, improve your sound system, get that new carpet and cheer up your living space. Jupiter is the king of the gods, so treat yourself like royalty. Now, think about this question in probingly honest scorpionic psychological terms. What exactly is stopping you from doing all that? There's the question. What exactly is stopping you from doing all that? Now, if you're an artist, this could be a big breakthrough month for you. That's especially true if your chart shows some sensitivity to seven or eight degrees of Scorpio where this conjunction is happening. To find the vaunted Jupiter luck, you need to look up. That means to think in grander terms, to invest in yourself, to act as if you believe in yourself, to stop holding yourself back. Maybe you play classical piano. Is it time to start working on your first original composition? Maybe a paint. Is it time to hang a public show or knock on a gallery door? Do you deserve a new easel, a finer guitar, or new dancing shoes? Maybe it's time to get those poems out from their hiding place and read a few of them to your friends. Peace is really the ultimate Venusian gift. If you think about what we've just been considering, you'll quickly see the connections. Relationships, peace arises pretty much automatically when we get a hug from the right person, 
especially after a heart-to-heart or sweet lovemaking? And humanly, how could we ever be at peace without our dear friends? Ditto, immersing ourselves in beauty. Whether in art or in nature, it soothes our souls. So does creativity. There is always a mysterious catharsis and release involved in any act of making art. That leads to peace, too. It does so by releasing tension. In purely scorpionic terms, dealing honestly and effectively with our convoluted complexes and issues may not be anyone's idea of a good time, but here is an ancient truth. Once you've done that, you breathe easier. And opportunities abound for that kind of peace-producing inner work this month. In that regard, the force is with you. So are your friends and your allies. Claim all these gifts from the Jupiter-Venus conjunction. You deserve them. And saying you deserve them and knowing that in your bones is the essence of Jupiter. Let's get back to the photon connection for one more moment. I have a sneaking suspicion that you can boost these energies we've been talking about into the stratosphere by simply getting out of your nice warm bed in the wee hours on or around November 13th and letting those merged Jupiter-Venus photons flow down from the sky and into your heart and your soul. We astrologers speak blithely of energy. Well, that is energy. No one, not even the most vehement opponent of astrology, could refute that. Those photons are real. I fantasize about an astrology conference in the future. Here we are, sitting on yoga mats and meditation cushions under the night sky. Our hearts open and our eyes are on the heavens. Who needs books? Who needs the collected works of some guy named Stephen Forrest? He's just some dinosaur from back in the days when people believed they could learn astrology from a computer screen. Thank you.